0: welcome back to the Canadian Money Roadmap podcast. I'm your host, Evan Neufeld. On today's episode, I'm excited to be joined by Mark McGrath. Mark is a financial planner and investment advisor at PWL Capital. And you might remember him from earlier this year when he joined me on an episode to talk about corporations and investing for professionals. This week, we are changing gears a little bit. We're talking about dividends and why much of what you see on Twitter and YouTube about dividend investing might actually be steering you in the wrong direction. And when uh, when you're building your long-term investment portfolio, we're going to talk about some things that you should be thinking about instead of focusing on dividends, perhaps. It was a really fun conversation about some really practical aspects of investing, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So here's my conversation with Mark McGrath. All right, Mark, thanks so much for joining me today on the Canadian Money Roadmap podcast. Thanks for coming back, I should say, actually.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me on again.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, time flies, but yeah, Mark was on the podcast back in February talking about corporations and things to keep in mind for professionals. That was a little bit more of a niche audience, but Mark is also someone who is an expert in, in all things investing. But in my lurking on Twitter, I don't post a whole lot on Twitter, but I... I See what's going on there. I've seen a huge increase in the number of accounts of people that are focused on dividends and how they're, you know, the, the singular path to wealth and all sorts of stuff. And, and I've also seen you chime in on a bunch of these posts. And so I'm like, okay, let's get work on here to talk about dividends. Does that sound reasonable to you?
1: Yeah, I chime in as uh is probably putting it mildly, I think I've had some fairly epic battles with some of those those dividend accounts. Yeah, no, happy happy to discuss it. I think it's it's an important topic. I think lots of people are focused on dividends whether that is a good idea or not. I think is something we're going to talk about today, but I'm fairly passionate about the topic, so I'll try to, you know, temper my my opinion on it.
0: I love it though. No, I, I typically don't get too passionate or anything like that. So instead of lulling my listeners to sleep, we might get a little bit of yeah. a little bit of spice here today. This is good. So maybe let's just start off with high level concept. What are dividends? How do they work?
1: Yeah. So dividends. Dividends are basically a distribution of a company's earnings or profits to its shareholders, right? A company is, you know, profitable and has cash and the board of directors will determine a dividend policy for those companies that pay dividends and basically the reason they pay out a dividend is that they don't have a better use for the money internally right they can't take that money those profits and invest it in a way that is acceptable they can't earn a high enough rate of return on that money by investing it internally into you know say new projects and so they distribute those dividends to the shareholders and usually that's done on a quarterly basis for most companies. Um, some ETFs and funds will have monthly distributions, some will have annual distributions, but if you're picking individual stocks for the most part, those are going to be quarterly and the board of directors sets a basically a dollar amount of what these dividends are but they're most commonly quoted as a percentage of the current share price right so if you see a stock and it says there's a 4% dividend yield all they're doing is they're just taking the dollar amount of that dividend yield and dividing it by the the current stock price and as long as you own shares of that company on what's known as the ex-dividend date then you will be paid that dividend so the ex-dividend date is basically the date by which as long as you own the company then you will earn the next dividend. So that's basically how they work.
0: So dividends because they pay shareholders, one of the common misconceptions that that I see or maybe not in so many words but people kind of see dividends as like free money. It's like, yeah, if I yeah. own this, I just get this stuff for free and I don't have any risk along with it. Maybe can you address mm-hmm. that common misconception or maybe some other common misconceptions that people have about dividends?
1: Yeah. And and, and you're right. A lot of a lot of investors, I, I would say, a lot of new investors specifically think that way. Like, I don't know that any you know seasoned or professional investors really think that dividends are free money. But to to the uninformed or uneducated or new investor, there is definitely that misconception. And I've I've had conversations with with people about this online and on Twitter. So the dividends come from the company's value, right? And like this is very simple arithmetic. That it's it still shocks me that I have to have this argument with some people because it's very simple mathematics. If, you, if we have a company that is worth $100 and they pay out $1 in dividends, they no longer have that dollar. And so the company is no longer worth $100 because they've given away a dollar of their value of that company. So now the company is worth $99. It's, it's that simple. The reason people, I think, have trouble grasping this is because when you look at the price of a stock on its ex-dividend day, It doesn't always drop exactly by the amount of the dividend. And of course, that's reasonable because there are millions of things that are moving prices in the markets on any given day. And so like in a vacuum, yes, you would see the share price drop exactly by the value of the dividend. But we don't see that live when you're watching markets and when you're looking at prices because some other good news or bad news is also moving the the price of that stock, right? So this idea that is some additional return that you get for holding the shares Is is a very common misconception. So it's not free money and it's it's taxed, right? Like it's it's a distribution of the company's earnings. And when you receive a dividend, depending on the type of account you're holding it in, it's taxable, right? So I think for a lot of investors who are holding dividend stocks in taxable accounts during the what we call the accumulation phase of their life, right? Which is kind of the wealth building phase before they've retired, they're electing to take on a tax burden and they're usually reinvesting the shares, I mean the dividends rather, back into shares of the company, which is kind of funny to me because they would have been just much better off not receiving the dividend and having the value of the dividend accrete to the share price instead, but they love their income.
0: But it's also challenging because they're not electing to receive the dividend you know what I mean mm-hmm. is the company is sending it to them but so yes for, for that investor they would be better off if the company made a different decision is that a fair distinction to make potentially Pot- yeah, potentially yeah yeah. Assuming, yeah, like yeah assuming
1: the company could reinvest that money at a reasonable rate of return then yeah the company would be better off you know keeping the keeping the cash and not distributing it but I think you bring up an interesting point because like right now if I receive a dividend from an ETF an exchange traded fund that I own I don't need that money right now. You know, I'm in my working years, I don't need that money to pay the bills, so it just automatically gets reinvested. I personally, as an investor, would much prefer they didn't pay me the dividend, but I leave that decision up to the board of the directors of the the companies that they're running, right?
0: Yeah. What if you're in a, an RSP or a TFSA and you receive that dividend? Is the the mm-hmm. the immediate taxable income less of a concern in in that regard? And is is it just more of a mechanical inefficiency?
1: Yeah. Mechanical inefficiency is a really good way to put it. Generally speaking, so for Canadian dividends, that's true, right? Because investment income inside a TRNRSP is not taxed. You don't receive a, you know, a tax slip at the end of the year for any distributions that you earned in those accounts. It's not really a concern from a tax perspective on Canadian dividends. On foreign dividends, it gets a little bit more complex than that. And I don't know we want to go deep into the weeds on how foreign withholding taxes work because it's a, it's a pretty nasty topic. But effectively, in a TFSA, you may pay some foreign withholding taxes on dividends received from companies outside of Canada. And in an RSP, depending on the tax treaty with the, the, the country where that stock is domiciled, you may or may not pay a withholding tax. Like if you hold dividend stock in, in your RSP and it's a U.S. stock. We have a treaty with the U.S., so there's no foreign withholding tax on that dividend. But it gets really messy because it depends on whether you hold the stocks directly or whether you hold a Canadian ETF that owns the stocks directly or a Canadian ETF that owns U.S. ETFs. So the multiple layers of withholding taxes and the types of accounts that you hold these things in, it does get pretty complex. So long answer to a short question, but generally speaking, for the listener's benefit, inside an RSP and a TFSA, it is just a mechanical what
0: did you call it? A mechanical, a mechanical inefficiency? inefficiency. Yeah, beautiful. I love I, it. I came up with that on the fly. That's pretty good. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's that's one of the the misconceptions here. What about things like yield, or maybe I've called them yield traps in the past, but yeah. the trap is is the the leading term there. So if I'm looking for different stocks that I'm investing in, maybe even different ETFs or whatever, and I see a higher dividend yield. Is that better or worse or how, how should we view dividend yield
1: yeah it's a good question and i think yield trap is a good way to put it now it's impossible to say whether buying a particular stock that has a high yield is a good investment or not right because that's just all going to depend on the future total returns that you earn for holding that stock but i think a lot of investors see the yield as the return like because they, they misunderstand this concept that when a dividend is paid the share the, the company's value must drop by an equivalent amount, when they see a high yield, they do believe that's an excess return, right? And so looking for companies or filtering companies or investments purely by the dividend yield can lead you to not only you know, building a suboptimal portfolio, but it can also lead you to taking on more risk, right? Because if we go back to what we said earlier, the dividend is, you know I guess, advertised or decided on as a dollar value, right? And so if you have a really high yield, it's likely because the share price is really really low, generally speaking, right? So if the share has dropped in value, that dollar amount of that dividend as a percentage of the stock's current price is going to be really high. And if you're buying stocks that have gone down a lot in value, there's probably some risk there that you're unaware of. Like there's a reason the market is pricing this stock that that much lower, right? and dividends aren't guaranteed by any means right like a lot of investors i think they see this yield and they think it's infinitely sustainable and there's no risk to that dividend but you know companies cut dividends all the time dividend you know aristocrats or kings or or whatever they're they're called they often not often but there are absolutely you know times in history where those types of companies like GE and JC Penney like cut dividends altogether and were dropped off of these lists so buying it for yield is not a way to guarantee some sort of future income. It's not a bond where you know exactly what return you're going to get. It's not an annuity. It's you're buying stocks that have likely gone down in value for some reason you're unaware of that are paying a high yield.
0: Yeah, and you make you made a good point there about how the the yield is determined, right? It's it's connected to the price. And the price is a significant part of your return. For better Got or for worse, right? And so, you're, you know, a total return from a stock, would it be fair to say it's price plus dividend? And, mm-hmm. you know, and so if, if dividends go up and price goes down, maybe mm-hmm. you're equal and vice versa and whatnot, right? So it's not mm-hmm. it's, it's not a both and, it's it's together, right? You have to yep. account for them together. So when yield goes up, that can happen every day, right? Because the, or throughout the day, because mm-hmm. these prices are moving throughout yep. the day. And you know, if you're looking for yield, and your stock price is appreciating, your yield is plummeting theoretically, yep. right? And so, if you're just looking at the yield of a dividend stock, be like, "Oh my goodness, my yield is just getting evaporated." Where in the yeah. meantime, you're making money, right? Like you yeah. might might be making suboptimal decisions on something that, that that isn't relevant to you.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Right, and, and I'm not saying that dividends aren't important, right? Like if I mean it. Every time I get into this argument with somebody, they pull up a chart and it shows the component of the S&P 500 returns that came from dividends. And the argument is, what do you mean dividends aren't relevant? Look how much of the returns of the S&P 500 historically came from dividends. And that, of course, that's that's totally fine. Like, yes, the dividend is going to be part of the total return that you earn on a position over time or on a market over time, right? The argument is you shouldn't select based on dividends. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't filter out half of the investable universe because they don't pay dividends and then try to filter stocks or investments just based on their dividend growth patterns or their their dividend yield. Like there's no information on the future return of an investment based on what its dividend policy is. It's just not a factor in expected returns.
0: Right. Okay. Well, that's, that kind of leads me into my next question here. So why do people love these things so much then? Is it just, just (laughs) misunderstanding? Is there some sort of psychological benefit? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I will I will admit that there's very likely a A psychological benefit that is driving these these decisions. And and I'll admit it because I've had conversations with dividend investors, and that is primarily why they tell me that they like this strategy, is they focus on the income that they're receiving, not on the value of their portfolio, of the value of their shares, right? So most of the time when you're talking to dividend investors or you're watching YouTube videos of dividend investors, they're never talking about the value of their portfolio, their total historical returns or annualized returns. They're only talking about the projected dividend income or the dividend income received to date and that's fine but it's really just mental accounting i think they're they're choosing to focus on the income stream which probably allows them to sit through that volatility of the actual balance of their portfolio a lot more easily right like in a bear market their portfolio might be down you know call it 30 35% they might be less worried about that as long as the dividends aren't being cut right they're still getting their their paycheck quote unquote so if it allows you to sit through a really volatile market without making a devastating mistake, like selling at the bottom, then I can, you know, reluctantly admit that perhaps, perhaps dividends do have a benefit from that perspective.
0: I was kind of baiting you into, into admitting that there might be something there. No, no, for sure. I know (laughs) I do admit it. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm not a big dividend proponent as well, but, but I totally see that, you know, it's like the idea of the, the bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Like people yeah. see price appreciation as this fleeting concept that's based mm-hmm. on nothing, which isn't true, versus <laughs> income that's in their account every, every yeah. month or every quarter, whatever the case may be. Except it,
1: for then they reinvested into shares of the company anyway. But yeah.
0: This same company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, do you see that as, you know, maybe in your searching or maybe you do a little bit more research on these dividend Mm -hmm. accounts on Twitter and whatnot. Are they typically doing that? They're just doing, they're setting up a drip, like a dividend reinvestment plan, or are they people using dividends? Like I've heard of people, sorry to keep rambling here. I've heard of people wanting to do like an ESG, focus that's another question for mm-hmm. another day but like an environmental social governance strategy and they'll own the cigarette companies and they'll own exxon Mobil and whatever and it's like these are the terrible companies but i'm going to take their dividends and i'm going to buy other stuff with it yeah. you know it's just kind of like robin hooding like some <laughs> good out of the stock market you know yeah. taking from the the evil and whatever do you yeah. see that kind of thing happening from time to time or is it typically just like drip and you know i'm just going to get my my chevron dividends
1: i've seen both like i haven't seen that specific example where they're trying to you know invest in a socially responsible way of using the dividends but i have seen exactly what you're talking about in that they take the cash from the dividends and then they make a decision on how to invest that cash whether it's buy more shares of the same company or allocate that cash to a different part of their portfolio. So when you're accumulating wealth and you're getting these cash distributions and then having to make a decision on what to do with the money, it is functionally equivalent to you owning a stock that didn't pay a dividend and you are electing to sell shares of the company to do something else. Like you're just actively managing your portfolio in disguise. So when a company pays you a dividend, they're just giving you some of the value of your company back. If, if I own this, if you and I own the same portfolio, it's got the exact same value, the same expected returns, the same fees, everything, but mine pays zero dividends and yours is a dividend portfolio. I can choose to sell parts of the positions in my portfolio and reallocate that cash elsewhere. And that's all dividend investors want. are doing, if yeah. I want to. But yeah. that's the nice thing, is I have control over that decision. Whereas with a dividend portfolio, you're leaving that up to the board of directors to force a distribution onto you. And then you're required to make a decision every single quarter or every single, you know, month, depending on the product. So so I have seen people do that. And again, I think it's just it's just mental accounting. Like you could just sell shares and reallocate if you want to. Right.
0: Okay. So I'm getting needed here. Yeah. Here we go. We're going. So now now this is the million dollar question. And maybe I can let you let you cook on this a little bit too of okay, focusing on dividends, especially focusing on yield. It's not an optimal way to invest by pretty much any definition the way that you look at it what is a better way to invest
1: yeah so that's a big question right like, you know without talking specifically about like a an individual because how you build your portfolio is going to be determined by a number of factors including your time horizon your risk tolerance your risk capacity et etc right we, we know that as advisors hopefully the listeners know that after listening to your podcast for a long time so i won't say to anybody here's how you should invest your money what i will say is that if you're you are building a portfolio and you're looking for the factors that drive performance in a diversified portfolios in diversified portfolios rather dividends are not one of those factors right i think most people would do well by holding a broadly diversified portfolio of global stocks and potentially bonds depending on your risk tolerance for a low fee right your classic market cap weighted index portfolio, most people would do well to do that, right? And ignore whether or not a particular like ignore the yield on whatever ETF you're buying in order to to accomplish that. Right. And if you want to take it one step further, I think you've talked about factors on your show before you know 95% of the differences between two diversified portfolios 95% of the difference in performance rather can be explained by that portfolio's exposure to risk factors that we know about which are size right small cap versus large cap price which is value versus growth profitability and what's known as investment, which is, is a company conservative with their investment capital or are they, are they aggressive basically, right? And so what we see is that dividend stocks, especially dividend growth stocks, do tend to have some of those characteristics, right? Like they're usually kind of value stocks that are profitable and have conservative investment. And that's- Because they're that's giving the, you the money. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's, that's another argument is that- you know, by, by having a dividend policy management is forcing themselves to be uh, more prudent or more conservative with their capital knowing that they have a dividend to pay out and I, th- I think it's a reasonable thought but at the same time companies can be conservative with their investments without having to distribute capital right so you're you should care about the investment policy of the company not about their dividend policy right and if you can get a portfolio that loads on those factors that i just discussed and ignore dividends you should, in theory, have a better outcome simply because you'll be more diversified, right? You're you're getting effectively the same expected return, but with, with lower risk because you're, you're more diversified. But that's getting fairly complex. Like the ability to implement factor portfolios, I think for most people is beyond them. You'd have to work with an advisor that knows it, or you'd have to be really interested in in the <laughs> space. Like there's a few ETFs, but it's it's really complex, right? Like I think one of my one of my now colleagues wrote on one of their blogs one time, like the difference. The number of clients that I have that failed to meet their financial goals because they didn't implement the factor portfolio and actually just held a cap-weighted index portfolio, the number of clients that failed to meet their goals because of that is zero, right? And, and that's right. true.
0: So when you look for factors or even invest in a in an index style, you're not saying that companies that pay a dividend are garbage and not worth no. owning because those portfolios are going to own yep. dividend-paying stocks anyways, right? It's just yep. not... The uh, criteria that selected them for the portfolio in the first place. Would that be fair to say?
1: Yeah and that's usually my favorite comeback in these dividend arguments is i own all of the dividend stocks that's <laughs> right, every single one you know it's it's not that i don't it's not that i hate dividends i just don't think they're useful in building a portfolio like as a criterion for selecting or filtering from a list of potential investments in your investment universe so yeah you absolutely if you're going to own dividend stocks you absolutely want the dividend of course it is an an important component of the returns of a stock over time it's just that you shouldn't necessarily you shouldn't cut half of your investable universe out just because they don't pay uh, a dividend, right? So I want to own all the stocks because I don't know where the returns are going to come from. I don't know which stocks are going to generate market beating returns over time, so I want to own all of them whether they pay a dividend or not. Right.
0: And and you talked about this before of, you know, making your own dividend. Can you explain that yep. that concept again?
1: Yes, so selling shares is functionally equivalent to receiving a dividend, right? So if we walk through some fairly basic math, let's like a simple example is there's two companies. Let's say you and I each have our own company, right? We've got say Evan Co and Mark Inc. Both of our companies are identical. We're both, you know, great advisors. We've got the same types of clients, the same fee structures. We're literally identical in every single way except for your company pays a dividend cuz mine certainly wouldn't. And I don't pay dividend. And let's say that each of our companies' value is $100, right? To keep it simple, you distribute a dividend for $1 to your investors. Now, your investors before tax now have a share worth $99 and they have $1 in cash. Their total wealth is still $100 before tax because dividends are tax. Right. My investors, I decide not to distribute a dividend. My investors own shares worth $100. They could elect to sell shares and just create that one dollar dividend for themselves. And they would be in the exact same position as your investors would. They'd have a dollar in cash in this example and they'd have a $99 worth of shares, right? So they'd be in the exact same position. The difference is that they have control over the timing of the distributions. They they can control when they want to sell those shares, right? So when you've got dividend income coming in, maybe it's more than you need to spend and you don't actually need it. So you're forcing a tax event on yourself. But also what's interesting is that people tend to adjust their spending to the income that they're receiving from the portfolio. And so people will, they're they're sensitive to the amount of dividends they get when it comes to their own consumption and, and spending, right? And so if you have more dividend income in one quarter, you might actually increase your spending. And when it comes to retirement planning, that is not a great way to design a retirement portfolio, right? Like the sustainable withdrawal rate on a portfolio has nothing to do with the dividend yield and everything to do with the volatility of the portfolio, the total returns you earn over time, and your spending rate, right? So if receiving dividends forces you to increase your spending, that's actually a bad thing. Whereas for my shareholders, they can spend what they need to spend when they need to spend it. And it can still be very, very tax efficient.
0: Right. Okay. We, we can get into some like planning concepts there too. Cause like if someone's in an RSP, I explain RSP is like a bucket. Once you get into retirement or beyond age 71, your bucket now has a hole in it. And now it's called a RIF, yeah. a registered yeah. retirement income fund. And that hole can never be plugged. You have to take money out of it every month. So if you're investing in say dividend stocks, it doesn't really matter because you're forced to take out at least a set amount of money that's prescribed yeah. to you by your age and the yeah. account value. At any given time. So, determining how much you're going to spend or whatever based on the dividends you're receiving is crazy because you might have to sell shares anyways.
1: That's a great analogy, right? Specifically the bucket with the hole in it. I love that. I'm stealing that. I'm going to use it now with clients. Thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. Um, but also to your point, right? I mean, the, the cash distributions occur inside the RSP. They don't go directly to your bank account. With a non-registered or taxable account, often retired investors will have their dividends set to go into their bank account. And that's what I mean when I say they they can be sensitive to their income and increase their spending. But to your point with an RSP, that money is going to be distributed and it's going to stay in the RSP or RIF rather. And then the amount of money that you take out of the RIF, the minimum at least is determined by, you know, your age and a percentage, but it does create some sort of separation there. I think there's there's kind of a barrier between the income you're receiving from the dividend portfolio and the amount you must take out. So designing your income stream for retirement based on the dividends received, A, it doesn't make sense, but B, when it's in an RSP, it's just completely irrelevant.
0: Right. Yeah. I I was thinking about the retirement issues because a lot of people or maybe the content that I see anyways is like, yeah, I'm going to build up my dividend portfolio for retirement. Hmm. People don't say I'm going to do it to optimize my wealth or whatever. It's like I'm going to live off the dividends. Right. Yeah. This language. And so you talk about like some potential risks with that. But like I see in in retirement anyways, two factors that are probably the most important to people's income, or maybe not most important, but tax, like minimizing tax bill over the course of your life. Mm -hmm. Dividends force upon you the tax bill Mm -hmm. in a non-registered account and then flexibility of income. So I see people that are like, okay, well I need to spend like four grand a month or whatever but I want to go to Australia. Oh, just got in a car accident, need a new car, you know, all these different things and you need flexibility of income. So you're in the position where you're probably going to need to sell some shares and keep in mind both tax and flexibility anyways. Right. So the, I, I would say that the argument to focus your accumulation phase based on a dividend structure that probably won't be relevant or perhaps detrimental to you in retirement isn't a great option. You know, the idea of you you should start the way that you want to finish. You know, if you're in retirement and that is your situation, it's not going to be optimal. It's going to be less tax efficient than mm-hmm. you think and and starting a way that prioritizes more tax efficiency and flexibility might be a better way to go.
1: But well, I think not only that, but what a lot of dividend investors maybe don't realize is that there's one account, I won't name names or anything, there's one particular dividend account that I interact with, let's say, quite frequently. And they're constantly talking about their dividend income and how they've grown that over time. And now they've got X amount of dividends per year. And my whole argument is, look, if I have the same amount of capital as you do, tomorrow, I can go and buy The exact same dividend yield that you're getting on your portfolio right like you've built it up over 20 years and now you've got a portfolio worth and i don't know the portfolio value so i'm literally making up numbers here but let's say you've got a two million dollar portfolio and the yield is four percent and so it's paying you eighty thousand dollars in dividends per year and you feel that you've built up that income over time by accumulating these dividend stocks right i can build up a two million dollar portfolio by focusing on a low cost total index fund over time and then I can literally just go buy your portfolio with the same amount of capital and have the exact same outcome. Like I can just go and buy that eighty thousand dollars income stream. So That's you don't need to start building a portfolio today so that you have a, a you know a dividend portfolio in retirement. All that matters is the total return that you earn on your investment along the way, and then you can literally buy the same outcome,
0: right? So is there? I, I've seen this this terminology before, which I, I think is more interesting than it is actually beneficial or instructive for anything, but the idea of yield on cost, I'm
1: so glad you brought this
0: up. Does this lead people to make uh, suboptimal decisions? Yes. (laughs) I'm leading you there. Yeah,
1: You are, but I am glad you brought it up. And I did get into a conversation about this recently on Twitter as well. So yield on cost, it's a fantasy metric. It means absolutely nothing. It's totally irrelevant and it's meaningless. Like at the end of the day, so to the listeners, yield on cost, I think the reason people love it is Warren Buffett references sometimes in his shareholder letters on his yield on cost for his Coca Cola shares, right? So the idea being if I put, let's say, $1,000 into a stock today in 2023 and it pays a 4% yield over time, as that position grows and compounds and I reinvest those dividends, let's say that it grows to $1,000. So it goes up 10 times over many, 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 many years, right? And once it's at $1000, if it pays the same percentage yield, it's paying me $40 a year in dividends at that point, right? So now it's worth $1000, it's a 4% dividend yield, I'm earning $40 a year in dividends. But my original position, you know, years and years and years ago, I only put $100 into it. So my yield today, when my portfolio is $1000 and I'm earning 40 bucks in dividends per year versus the amount I invested of $100, my yield on cost is 40%. So what they're saying is now that $100 investment pays me a 40% yield at some time in the future, right? Who cares? It's totally irrelevant. Like, it, like I don't know, I could do the exact same thing with a company that doesn't pay a dividend. So let's take the exact same example. And that company at $1,000 now in my position is growing at 10% per year. So when that company goes up $100, I can't go back, I can, but it's meaningless. I can't say, well, look, I earned $100 in growth on this position and my original investment was $100 So my growth on cost is a 100%. This is how compounding works, people. It's got nothing to do with yield on costs or anything else. It's just how compounding returns works over time. And the problem is people then don't want to dispose of these positions that they have because they're referencing this metric that in their mind is meaningful. But at the end of the day the example we just talked about applies like you've now got a thousand dollars in a position and it's paying you four percent so you're getting forty dollars in dividends i could just go take a thousand dollars and buy that position today and have the exact same outcome as you the you alone cost means nothing well okay (laughs)
0: that's great how often do you see that
1: i see it in dividend circles all the time
0: really okay
1: yeah it's an anchor metric that people are using Again, I think it's a psychological thing, and I, I, I will admit that there may be some psychological benefits to using these types of metrics to keep you in good positions that you might otherwise sell in a bad market. But I think the other side of that coin is it prevents people from rebalancing their portfolio or selling positions that might not be optimal because they're looking at this yield on cost and saying, well, no, this is a great investment, even if my total returns over time are lower than the market.
0: Right, yeah, it could lead to overconcentration you know, yeah. at that one's own detriment or increases risk then accordingly. So if people are going to still focus on this because closely held beliefs die hard. So I had somebody tell me w- one time when I was in, in university, you have to misunderstand me correctly. So it's like, if you're going to, yeah. if you're going to misunderstand and still take this as you should be investing in dividend stocks, what are some things to keep in mind anyways for people to, to do it safely or anything like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the number one thing is diversification, right? Like when when you pick stocks, when you go and decide that you're going to pick individual stocks, you're not actually increasing your expected return, you're just concentrating your portfolio. And so you can actually diversify all those risks away by having a diversified portfolio that has the same expected return as a concentrated portfolio. And so number one, and this is foundational stuff, like be diversified. And the easiest way to do that is to buy a product like a fund or an ETF, an exchange traded fund or an index fund that follows some sort of dividend index, right? Like in the US and in Canada, there's dividend growth ETFs and it's going to be you know a one stop shop to getting a more diversified portfolio than you going and selecting individual stocks yourself and then trying to manage that manage the rebalancing and everything else. So number one if you're going to do this stay very very diversified. Be mindful of your fees of course. Try to keep your fees as low as possible. I will say beware of all of these new products that are coming to market like yield is in demand and has been I guess, but funds and companies respond to investor demand and the attention that they get and so they launch products that are designed to capture investor dollars and nothing else, right? Like they're not, I won't name names, but there's a lot of new funds on the market that are advertising 13% yields. Actually, I will name names. There's a Tesla ETF that all they do is they own Tesla and they sell options on it for yield. So they create an income just off of Tesla. And it's now in an ETF. Like these things are designed to separate you from your money and pay fees. They're they they are not predatory, but at the same time, they're not some... It's not free money. It's not some some new product that didn't exist before that now all of a sudden, because you own it, you're going to beat the market over long periods of time. So beware a lot of these new products that come out just advertising yield. As you mentioned it before, watch out for yield traps. Like You shouldn't be selecting products based on the the actual percentage yield. You should be selecting it based on other factors. So don't just go and buy an ETF because it has a very, very high dividend yield. Be mindful of taxes, right? We talked a little bit about about taxes, but be mindful of taxes. If you do want to get really into the foreign withholding tax thing, my now colleague, excuse me, Dan Bortolotti and Justin Bender, who you probably know of as the Canadian Couch Potato and the Canadian Portfolio Manager, they've written a lot on this idea of foreign withholding taxes and where you might want to hold or the impacts of different you know types of stocks and ETFs and different account types. If you just Google Canadian Couch Potato, foreign withholding tax explained, they've done a much better job than I can do in explaining that. So be mindful of taxes and go read that post for more.
0: I think that's about it. Diversification was the big one that I was probably 100%. It's like, and it's possible, you know what I mean? Like if, if this is still something that that is really going to scratch your itch and you're going to stay invested with it, it is better than you sitting on the sidelines and doing nothing, but make Mm -hmm. sure diversification is the box that you tick. And it's, and it's very easy to do that. Even if you like an active strategy, you can still do that. But with an active fund, you know, that someone's going to do it for you. That's got more, you know, time, temperament, and talent, to do it, that doesn't mean it's going to outperform or anything like that, but at least it's diversified instead of you just buying, you know, all three big Canadian banks and an oil and gas company. It's like, oh, come on.
1: I saw a portfolio the other day that was, it was 10 stocks, I think, and 70% of them were Canadian banks, right? So that's a dividend portfolio that is designed only for dividends, massive concentration risk, right? And the banks are not doing very well right now based on on uh, the past few months i'm not making any predictions about what that particular sector is going to do or not but you've now concentrated your wealth into one sector of one country's economy explicitly for the dividends so you just end up taking all this risk that you don't need because to your point you can diversify it away
0: cool i will leave the last thoughts with you here mark were there any points that you wanted to make before we close off
1: i think we covered a lot of it i will say i mean some people love this stuff right like they love analyzing companies and that kind of thing and you know that's that's fine. You know, that's that's great. If you've just really love doing research and building portfolios, I'm not here to tell you you're doing things wrong. I just where I get concerned is the amount of misinformation uh, that goes out to new investors on this topic. And that do chase yields and they chase dividend stocks because of some of the misconceptions that we've talked about. So like the audience I'm talking to, I think, are those who maybe don't know what they don't know. And again, there's a lot of of newsletters out there, a lot of YouTube channels that are focused on this topic and aren't explaining some of the risks, some of the downsides. And so just be careful who you listen to. And I'll, I'll bring up one more point, one more point that I think is actually really important. Oftentimes people don't want to sell shares of a stock when the markets are down, right? And I don't know if you've talked about sequence of returns risk before on your podcast. Probably, I think
0: so. I'm I'm almost at 100 episodes. I don't even remember all the things that I talked about. So that's uh, yeah. come up. Is there for sure? left? Right? Yeah, yeah,
1: I'm sure it has. So this this idea that when markets are volatile and especially when they're going down, by selling positions in your portfolio, you're basically dropping an anchor onto your portfolio. You're pulling the value of the portfolio down by selling these positions, leaving less capital available for when the eventual market recovery comes. And this is true. Sequence of returns risk is is a problem for retirement planning, for sure. And the argument that I often come across is, well, I don't want to sell shares when the market is down, but I can just hold my shares and get paid and get my dividends, right? It's the same thing. When a when a stock is down in value and it pays out a dividend, the stock drops by the value of the dividend. It's equivalent to you selling shares. So the sustainability of a portfolio in a bear market has nothing to do with whether or not a company pays the dividend or whether you sell shares in a bad market. So this idea that dividend investing is defense against bad economic times, there's absolutely no basis for that that I'm aware of. And I think the the arithmetic on that is is pretty clear. So now again, though, I will say psychologically, if it stops you from selling. When markets are down, okay, I think that's a valid argument, but I think it's the only valid argument that I can think of. And if you can just, you know, you know, if if your risk tolerance is sufficient, you can just not pay attention to your portfolio. Your time horizon is long enough, and you can avoid making that mistake. Regardless of the construction of your portfolio, you'd
0: be better off. Yeah, you make a good point there because it's not like the companies that are paying dividends in a down market are the only profitable companies are the only ones that are making sales. It's like, Oh shoot. Netflix, you know, is, is down 30% and they're not paying a dividend. It's like they've got billions of revenue. It's like, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah, you're still choosing to sell. Netflix is probably a terrible example there, but like any company that you would choose to sell that's down, that mm-hmm. doesn't pay a dividend, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, It's irrelevant. Because it's it, irrelevant. It, because what what are we doing at the end of the day when we're we're owning stocks? We're owning a piece of a business that's actually selling products and services. To your initial point, do you want the exclusive part of the returns that you're focusing on to be determined by the board of directors of those companies, or, yeah. <laughs> or do you see yourself as an owner of businesses for a really long time that are going to do a lot of good work? Selling products that uh, you know, love, and trust. So, anyways, that's yeah. Uh, no,
1: no, you're you're right. And I think part of that, part of the issue there is that you know, dividend good dividend stocks or good stocks in general. When they go down, they typically recover over time. I mean, a lot of stocks that go down, they just never recover, right? But if you're going to take the example of two stocks that drop in value and you expect that both of them are going to recover, the argument that I hear is that well. I'm getting paid. So I'm getting the dividend and the stock is going to recover. So, not that it's free money, but it's different than selling shares, right? The problem is if you agree with the very simple math that when you pay a dividend out of a company, the company is worth less, if both companies, let's say they both compound at 10% after that and they both get back up to break even at some point, the company that paid the dividend is going to have a lower share price to start that 10% compounding per year and should take longer to recover than the company that didn't pay the dividend right and so it's no it's no different than me selling the shares at the bottom and having less capital to compound to break even on my portfolio so
0: that's interesting i I haven't really thought about it that way but it's it's a it's a base rate problem like it's just a percentages problem
1: Right? It is. It's, yeah. it's very simple math. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't see it because markets are so volatile and you're looking at them and, and news is moving markets at all times. So you're not seeing this like actually happen. It's a perfect example on paper, right? But it, theoretically and empirically, I guess this is really what happens. But companies will say, well, when this company pays a dividend, I notice that it recovers its share price, usually within a few weeks or something like that, right? And that's probably true. But if they didn't pay the dividend, they would probably recover their share price in a few weeks, minus a couple days, because they didn't distribute part of the value of the company and drop the share price further at that point
0: right yeah, yeah right interesting mark this yeah. was awesome you you mentioned being careful about who you listen to people want to listen mm-hmm. to you more where do they find you
1: Yep. so i'm still very active on twitter at mark mcgrath cfp on linkedin a little bit i'm now on another podcast it's called the rational reminder podcast i'm there bi-weekly now just for just for a few minutes doing some segments on financial planning for canadians you Just Google me. I'm I'm available. If anybody has questions, I'm always happy to chat with people out there.
0: Awesome. Mark, thanks so much for joining me today. Really glad to have you on.
1: Likewise. Thanks, Evan.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Canadian Money Roadmap Podcast. Any rates of return or investments discussed are historical or hypothetical and are intended to be used for educational purposes only. You should always consult with your financial, legal, and tax advisors before making changes to your financial plan. Evan Neufeld is a certified financial planner and registered investment fund advisor. Mutual funds and ETFs are provided by Sterling Mutuals, Inc.,